Hello everyone, hope you all been well. Today on Ghost Travelers Podcast, we're talking to Josh Hurd. He is an author, podcaster, paranormal investigator, and also the co-owner of the Melbourne Manor in Iowa. We'll be talking to him about how he became the co-owner of the Melbourne Manor, and also about how he got into the podcasting world, and also the paranormal world as well. So please join us on this journey with Josh. Josh, thank you so much for coming on Ghost Travelers Podcast. How are you today? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Um, if you could, can you tell my listeners a little bit about yourself and how you came across the the, uh, the Melvin Manor? Sure, yeah. So my name is Josh Hurd. I'm a paranormal uh, author and lecturer and filmmaker, um, co-owner of Malvern Manor, and um, host of a couple different uh, podcasts, uh, the the Ectoplasm Show and the G Crew Show podcasts. With your G Crew podcast, how long have you been doing that for? So G Crew has only been around for about about a year now, honestly. So it hasn't been too long. We're still kind of in our in our infancy, you know. <laughs> and with your G Crew podcast, can you tell my listeners about your favorite moments on your? Uh, show that you ever recorded? Sure. Um, you know, it's fun It's fun doing G-Crew anyway, uh, just because it's kind of like just me hanging out with my buddies, you know? Uh, my buddy Nick Groff, Johnny Hauser, Chad Lindbergh, uh, and we just have such an amazing time. We have such a great time just doing what we do. And, um, you know, <laughs> some of the most, you know, my favorite moments anyway, I mean, have just been like, you know, us screwing around. <laughs> just like, I mean, sometimes we'll even go as far as like prank calling other people. Sometimes like prank calling other paranormal celebrities and things like that. It's flipping hilarious, really. <laughs> but it's like, especially when they don't know who's actually calling on the other end. You know, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> we have a lot of fun with the show. That sounds really hilarious. Um, do you have um, one of your favorite moments? on i would say on the podcast of your favorite case moments from a paranormal group that ever called in or you or nick investigated um so yeah like one of my favorites actually was um this family in colorado they had um they were big fans of of nick you know and big fans of like ghost adventures and uh paranormal lockdown and things like that and you know, sadly, uh, they had lost their son, uh, and his name was Cody, and they, they lost Cody uh, to COVID-19, sadly. And this was kind of back in the day when we didn't realize uh, that COVID-19 could affect uh, younger people. We had thought, you know, at that time that it was primarily just affecting um, the older generation. Uh, but that certainly, you know, we know now, obviously, wasn't. Uh, wasn't the case, um, but um, they had reached out, you know, to Nick, and you know, Nick was so moved um, by this family's story uh, that he actually went out to Colorado, um, and you know, we were able to interview them for for G Crew, which was great. But then it was afterwards that Nick um, 
was with the family and they did like a geoport session and they were actually contacting Cody, which was phenomenal. And, you know, Cody was like, you know, saying things like to his sister, like calling her little pet nicknames and things like that, that only Cody would do. Um, and he was saying, you know, things, very, very sweet things to his mom and dad. He basically just wanted them to know, I'm okay. Like, I know this sucks. Like, nobody wants to, to pass away, and certainly nobody wants to lose a loved one. But I'm okay. Um, and it was a very profound type of, of, uh, of an episode that we did. And it was very emotional. Um, but at the same time, it was also very sweet, very cool. You know, that we were able to, or that Nick was able to, you know, make contact. Like, you're basically, you know, watching and listening to a family heal, you know, and get that closure that they wanted and that they needed uh, because there really was no saying goodbye. It happened so fast. You know, with Cody, he just, he didn't feel well. And then he woke up one morning and he came downstairs and he actually, he actually collapsed. And then it was to the ambulance, to the hospital, and then he was gone. So, I mean, there was really no time for goodbyes, you know. Um, so it was, it was very cool to see Nick um, give this family that, that closure that they so desperately wanted. And I bet for Cody's side of the, the spectrum and the veil that it was pretty cool to see Nick communicating with him since he watched him on Ghost Adventures and Paranormal Lockdown. Exactly. It's like that was that was pretty cool too, especially with you know the family had been you know fans of, of Nick, so I, I'm sure that that Cody was awfully or certainly familiar with who was trying to get in contact with him. <laughs> yeah, I bet that really excited Cody, and also for he can reach out more better since he knew who was trying to make uh, contact with him, since it would make it more easier for Absolutely. Cody to reach out more. Yeah, I think so too. Absolutely. And also with that, um, I'll try to find that episode of your that podcast you mentioned. I'll try to put it in the bottom of the description of this episode since we talked about it a little bit. Oh yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Um, you mentioned that you're also co-owner of Melvin Manor. Uh, can you tell my listeners how you came across the building and tell us a little bit about its history? Sure. So, yeah, like, finding Malvern Manor was a complete a complete accident, um, really. Um, we were across the street filming a documentary and at this place called The Classic Cafe in Malvern, Iowa. And they were nice enough to say, yeah, come on over and film. And I didn't realize that there was a bar that's attached to that place. And so with noise contamination and all that stuff, like we really couldn't, uh, we really couldn't investigate, you know, properly. Um, so I ended up going outside. I was kind of irritated. I was a little upset. And I ended up meeting this gentleman who was outside drinking a beer in the little beer garden area that they had. And he was like, what's with all the cameras, dude? <laughs> <laughs> He's either going to think this is uh, really cool or I'm really crazy, like one of the two. And luckily, he thought it was kind of cool. You know, he's like, you know, I really don't believe in this stuff. However, there are some things that are happening at this building that I own that I can't necessarily explain away. And he kind of 
of got into it a little bit, um, you know, like the history of the building. You know, he said that, hey, you know, this place is 10,000 square feet, so it's fairly large. Um, he also then said that, you know, the building itself was initially built as a, as a hotel and ran as a hotel all the way up until the 1950s. Um, at that time, then it kind of switches hands and becomes what we would consider to be a nursing home. And then the nursing home in the 70s was shut down because the hallways weren't wide enough to support transporting patients properly. And so this is where it becomes the group home. And the group home was servicing any form of mental disorder you could possibly imagine. And it's interesting. Like looking at the clientele um, from back then, um, servicing like anybody, like from, you know, things that we see every day, people with Down syndrome, people with drug and alcohol abuse, very common type ailments. And then, of course, on the opposite side of the coin, you have people with, you know, DID or multiple personalities, uh, schizophrenics, even murderers were housed here. Like this is a very eclectic group of people coexisting together under the same roof. Now, I was floored by this information, and he was nice enough to say, come on in. And so it's very funny to me because, like, the first 10 minutes of that documentary is quite literally us stumbling upon this monstrosity of a building that just a year later we would be then calling Malvern Manor. So I've I've completely stopped believing in coincidence, okay? Like, I really yeah. have. I think this was a... I think this was kind of like a meant to be type of thing, you know, um, as strange as that sounds, <laughs> but it was, it, it's interesting for sure. Uh, you mentioned that they, uh, it was a group home and they kept, uh, murderers and innocent people with disabilities. Did they kept them separated on each floors or did they cram the, uh, each other in the same room? Correct. So it's, it, kind of interesting so there was really no separation i think they were just kind of putting these patients in whatever space that they had available honestly so for one example um and this is just what the former nursing staff has told me you know but what they said was that at one point in time there was one gentleman who had um killed three other people in the past and then directly across the hall from that gentleman was a, another guy who was he was uh, in there for alcoholism. Um, so he was in there just because he was trying to to clean up and sober up, you know. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that guy got much sleep, honestly. Like living across the hallway from another man who has who has murdered others in the past. I can't imagine that he slept very very well. <laughs> I wouldn't believe so. Um, was there any documentation of, since there was like murderers in the building, um, uh, killing people in the house, or was it like regular death that just happened there? Yeah, there was a lot of, of death. There was no, no real murder or anything like that that we can find. You know, now I will say as far as like death on property, we do know of 187 people that that lost their life here on property, uh, which is it's a lot, especially for small town Iowa. You know, like we're not we're not used to that. That's for sure. Um, so 
that was kind of interesting. Um, but nothing as far as as murders. Now, back in the day when this building was running as a hotel, there was plenty of weird uh, stories and things like that. I can tell you of at least seven different people who committed suicide on this property while it was functioning as a hotel. Uh, very, very interesting as far as as far as that goes. Do you think you can uh, tell us a little bit about that story? I mean, pretty much that's it. Like, what I do know is that the the people that we have found that have been documented as as suicides on on property, um, we do know. Like I said, there were seven. These were all self inflicted. Uh, uh, so it almost seems as if they would check in for the night. They would go up to their room. And then, sadly, they would decide to take their own life. Um, why people did that or do that, I, I don't know. Um, but it's, it's interesting. I tell you one, one crazy story uh, about the manor that just kind of started happening within the last year or so is we were doing some research. A friend and, and myself were doing research and found out that, uh, now this was back in 1910, there was a gentleman by the name of William Stamper, who took over ownership of this building. And it was about the summertime of 1910. And then by the, it was December of 1910, there was an outbreak of diphtheria. Now, this was kind of the thing back then. So it, it was taking a lot of lives. It was a very, diphtheria is very, um, diphtheria is very aggressive type of disease and it was taking a lot of people's lives now they claim that this what we now call Malvern Manor what used to be called the Cottage Hotel was ground zero for that but due to the railroad the railroad traffic that would people the travelers that would come and stay here uh, but there was an outbreak of diphtheria this building was called basically ground zero and a lot of people had to be quarantined uh, to this building um, which I also found interesting, just kind of given the the times that we're currently living in, you know, with, with yeah. quarantine and all of that stuff. Um, sadly, uh, William Stamper had a uh, a twelve year old daughter, and her name was Eunice. And Eunice sadly contracted diphtheria. She had to be quarantined to this building where she then lost her life on December 31st of 1910. So New Year's Eve uh, is when Eunice sadly passed away. And I mean, I go to their graves often just to pay my respects. I mean, quite literally this afternoon I was there as well. Um, just to, again, pay my respects and all of that fun stuff. But it, it's interesting, you know, how all of this stuff kind of happens. It, interesting still, like obviously when, when COVID hit, you know, we had a lot of people not cancel their their reservations here, but they pushed them back, right? Um, yeah. And uh, so there was a little bit of time where we didn't really have much going on here. Um, and so I would come to the building. I mean, I'm here every day, basically, anyway. And I would walk through the place with, you know, an audio recorder sometimes, sometimes a geo port that we have here. And I would ask... You know certain things like guys do you know why like people aren't 
coming to see you as often as they normally would. And every time it would say COVID, COVID, COVID. Wow. They knew, they knew like what was going on in the world, which is fascinating to me because, you know, I think we often think of as spirits as maybe sometimes trapped in whatever time period that they passed away. in. sometimes, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't be privy to that information. But so for them to, to mention and reference a current event that was globally affecting everyone like that, that floored me. I'm like, okay, so you're obviously fairly intelligent, you know, in some yeah. ways. Very impressive. Very impressive. Now, they, in your EVP sessions with the, the COVID experience, um, what yeah. do you believe on how the spirits there knew about the COVID pandemic since in the spirit world, I don't think they really had uh, TV or radio. <laughs> right. Yeah, they're not tuning into, tuning into any uh, news stations or anything like that. Um, no, it was funny to me because I, I, I'm here alone. You know what I mean? And we haven't, like I'm certainly not mentioning it in any way. You know, so I, I don't know how they would know what exactly was going on unless there's some kind of a weird paranormal network where they're able to speak back and forth to one another i have no idea um but i found it fascinating that they were able to reference something so significant especially when they you know when it was actually in uh in progress yeah, that's very fascinating, and I think that's why also it's why we want to investigate the afterlife to see what they see or what they hear in the present time, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was, that's one of my biggest questions, right, is, you know, is there such a thing as, as time, you know, on the other side? Like, time is a very man-made concept, you know? Um, we basically use time to tell us when to wake up, when to go to bed, when to get our kids to soccer practice or what have you, you know, it's like, this is a very man-made concept. Does time matter on the other side? And I probably, I mean, honestly, I would venture a guess and say it probably doesn't. Yeah, that's true. Um, if you could, can you tell my, can you tell us of one of your favorite stories uh, your own personal experience and the uh, manner itself? Sure, of course. Um, one of the most memorable and noteworthy and terrifying at the same time um, was you know, encountering what we call the shadow man. Now, the shadow man lives at the end of this hallway that we just call the nursing home wing. This is a wing of the hotel, or the, excuse me, this is a wing of the manor that was put on in 1956 to accommodate that nursing home setting that it had just taken a new life upon. Um, and so back there, you'll find, you know, wider door frames, a lot of laminate type of flooring in the, in the rooms themselves, kind of suggesting a more medical atmosphere for sure. But I was going back one day and I was, had a vacuum cleaner in, in my hand And I was just rounding the corner, and there he was at the end of the hallway, and then he bum-rushed me. Now, this is a very tall, black, humanoid figure uh, that you certainly cannot see through, standing at the end of the hallway, turning like it recognizes me or hears something almost, and then 
charges at me. Now, when I say charges at me, I'm talking quite literally the traveling the distance of at least 40 feet in less than a second. It is moving that fast. Wow. So my reaction was very carnal, very fight or flight. And I dropped the vacuum and I ran out the front door. Uh, it wasn't one of my finer moments. You know what I mean? But yeah. it terrified me. Now, what's interesting is the day after Paranormal Lockdown aired on TLC, I had a former uh, nursing staff member who I've since befriended. Uh, she got a hold of me and she said the gentleman that occupied that room down there was six foot seven, nonverbal, mentally deranged. He had killed a few people in the past as well. This was a monster of a man who could not verbally relay like any type of emotion. He's just acting upon his rem- emotions as he sees fit. He can't process like we can. Um, she did say that his little claim to fame while he was there as a patient is that he would, you know, every hour or so they were doing bed checks or, or rounds or whatever you want to call it. He would come out of his room and he would chase the nursing staff. Now that fascinated me. Because we're obviously seeing very similar behaviors here, right? Yeah. Um, So to me, it's like, now here's where it gets fascinating, right? So numerous people now have experienced this. In fact, the group that's here right now, um, they experienced this last night. Um, And it really kind of shook them, for sure. But what's interesting is nobody's getting hit or scratched or punched or any of that crap like quite literally the second that you're flinching or running away or whatever the phenomenon seems to be done and over with it is it's past so to me it's almost maybe suggesting something residual in nature right um the problem is that usually with a a residual type of a haunt that we would have some form of an antecedent right some yeah something to kick it into motion um a time of day, a weather pattern, a moon phase, like anything. And we're trying everything. And we have no idea why this is actually happening. It's just happening. But we have been able to document this as four times in a day. So it is quite significant when this is happening. Uh, but again, we just don't know why it's happening. With the... the- the person that you were talking about, do you do you think since you were documenting the time frame and stuff like that, do you think uh, you might have nailed down when he might uh, come out and you can tell the investigators saying, hey, this is the time frame when you might see this guy coming at you? <laughs> I would love to say yes, <laughs> but sadly, no. Initially, my thought was, oh, if they were doing bed checks, it was most likely at the, the top of the hour, right? And I figured maybe that was the time. Like, maybe it was like, we'll check every, like, top of the hour. That didn't seem to matter. Um, time of day, um, night, day doesn't seem to matter. Weather patterns, again, don't seem to matter. It is interesting because, like, it's happening at 10 o'clock in the morning, It'll happen at 10 o'clock at night. It'll happen in the middle of the night. It'll happen in the middle of the afternoon. It's just it, whenever it feels the need to do so. So it's almost like, is this residual or is there some form of intelligence behind this? And so we still just don't know. But it sounds like it might 
be to me, it might be a little bit of both residual and intelligent, but it's maybe sure. got like a little confused in the time frame that it might be in, you know? Absolutely. That is definitely a possibility. Um, if you could, for the short amount of time that we have, um, can you tell us your your first experience of the hauntings in the Melbourne Manor um, when you first <laughs> bought, the, when you first got into partnership with the owner that you met at the bar? Sure. So, like, one of the first things that I did was, like, when we were filming that documentary, I sat my brother down in the basement, and I said, <laughs> you're in here for an hour. You know what I mean? Like, we'll come back in an hour, and we'll get you. It's just you and this camera that's on you right now. That's it. And it was funny. Like, at one point, my brother James had heard some kind of a shuffle or a knock, and he was like, was that you? Was that you knocking on the on the water heater? And you hear this cough. Um, now, this cough sounded like a little girl uh, coughing. Now, we also didn't have any, any females with us that night <laughs> either. Um, but regardless, um, he said, huh, was that you coughing? Can you do it again? And then sure enough, this cough comes back with a little bit more force this time it was certainly different but you could still tell um that it was from the same source the same little girl type of voice or whatever with that cough um so that that was one of the the more profound things i mean we were even upstairs at one point and we heard footsteps coming down this hallway which is an impossibility because we operate on a closed set meaning Nobody is in or out. Like, nobody is allowed in when we're filming and doing our thing, you know, at all. And uh, we have measures put in place to, to make this so. And so nobody could be walking down that hallway. It's impossible. And we peek our head out, and nobody was there. Nobody was walking down that hallway. But you would swear that these footsteps were coming directly towards you. They were getting louder and heavier with every step. It's signifying to me that the noise, the person is getting closer to you or whatever, and nobody was there at all. It's like it was these very weird experiences that just kind of left us like, like just kind of second guessing ourselves. Really, it almost felt like, like cat and mouse. You know, it's very, very strange. Wow, that's that's very interesting. Um... I would really like to say thank you so much for taking the time out of your day um, coming on Ghost Travelers Podcast. Um, is there like any... Oh, it's my pleasure. I appreciate it. You're most welcome. Um, do you have like a website or a place for people can reach out to you or also to find your books that you have written? Of course. Um, so yeah, if you go to Josh Hurd, uh, that's J-O-S-H-H-E-A-R-D, dot net um, you'll be able to find all of my books all of my films um, all of my podcasts and of course then even links to Malvern Manor um, and you can check out the calendar and see what we have available there it gets you directly in contact with me all that fun stuff so yeah it's kind of a, a one stop shop for lack of a better term um, for everything that I'm involved in Josh, again, I would really like to say thank you again for coming on Ghost Travelers Podcast. And uh, the websites that you mentioned, I'll put them on the bottom of the description of this uh, episode. Sure. 
for my listeners can easily find your links as well. And yeah, that's great. Thank you. You're most welcome. Um, well, everybody, I think that's all for this evening's podcast. Uh, thank you again for listening. This is your host, PJ. Take care and travel safe, everybody. I would really like to say thank you to Josh about coming on Ghost Travelers Podcast. If you would like to know more about Josh and his manner, please head over to his website at joshherd.net. I will also put all of his links in the bottom of the description of this episode. If you like this episode of Ghost Travelers Podcast, please give it a positive rating and leave a comment down below and tell us how we did. And also, please consider on hitting that subscribe button for new episodes on Wednesdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays as well for you don't miss a new episode. Thank you for listening. This is your host, PJ, for Ghost Travelers Podcast. Take care and travel safe.